2: What's good, Internet? It is April 24th, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, coming to you live from Lobby One, Brooklyn, New York.
0: This is so much of an
2: intro. I'm trying to this get is... energy again. It's Monday morning. I'm trying to keep two Mondays in a row. High energy.
0: Okay, all right, I'm all for it.
2: Danica, I need to hear more energy.
0: Oh, I'm all for it. I'm, I'm still kind of sick, sick, but I'm here. Monday, baby. You, you missed Waypoint the bus this Radio, morning. baby. This morning I took an L, but tonight I'll bust back.
1: There it is.
2: Uh, Rob Zachney also joining us. So happy to be here on Monday.
1: Oh my God, my energy level is through the roof. Do you see how happy I am to be here, Austin? Please don't fire me.
2: He's
0: happy.
1: Okay.
2: Uh, It is Monday, April 24th. I am Austin Walker. Joining me, Rob Zachney, Danica Harrod. Danielle is in a meeting with a union, I think. She's, 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 our, our, union she's our union rep. She's our union rep. She's
0: got to rep us. Yes.
1: The union. Yes. I'm she not is, in the union. She is no. on a table right now holding union above her head.
0: Yes. yes. <laughs> and and like a foam... A foam one. A
2: foam number one, just also Yankees, (laughs) it says. (laughs) She's just a big Yankees fan, I think. Uh, Don't let her hear me say that, because I know she's from New England. Uh, Patrick taking a date with the fam, Mm -hmm. which is always a good idea. So glad that that he's getting some some time to, I don't know, drive. Mm -hmm. What do dads do?
0: Hang out. Play ball?
2: They play, play ball. He's playing ball.
0: He's playing ball with his baby. With
2: his baby. Hey, catch, baby. And he throws... What type of ball is it? A baseball, football?
0: It's probably like a, like a small... Like a tennis ball. It's like a, a tennis small, ball. Hey, baby, catch. Ball. And then
2: he throws the tennis ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then baby goes like, caught and it. And she's
0: like, I got it.
2: Yeah. Jessica is going to be... She's going to be... Very small, the, but... She's going to be a pitcher. I, I think you just it.
1: described like the pilot episode of Pitch, by the way. I think that's like- true. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, yep, Rob. How's it going up in Boston? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. I had a, uh, I had a magical Sunday in which I ran into oh. literally everybody I used to know in Boston who has since moved away. Oh, it was like a there was a wedding up there. In your, yeah, but I didn't know in that. the woods, and so I was okay. just like in a bookstore <laughs> having coffee, and I run into a couple friends, and they're on their way to meet literally everybody I used to hang out with on a regular basis <laughs> like six years ago, uh, and so it was a very strange one of those very strange days where. You slip back into all the old routines you had with your with your yeah. old group before all your lives well, like yeah. changed enormously and got really freaking complicated. Yeah,
2: that's nice, or it can be nice as long as the, those routines are mm-hmm. positive.
1: They they they, like they absolutely were. were. <laughs> this was this was definitely like a good thing and not like a sad Springsteen song.
2: Okay, <laughs> I live for sad Springsteen songs. Well, you are you are Jersey. boy. like when
0: I, that's like when I go home. I,
2: it's it's I'm a Jersey boy and it shows. <laughs> which is also the first lyric to my favorite sad Springsteen song. I think. <laughs> Danica, how was your weekend?
0: My weekend was, was fine. I've been sick for uh, going on nine days now, but... It's too long. You I'm should... almost there. I'm almost done. Uh-huh. I didn't leave the house for over a week. Like, I didn't step outside. So, all weekend I stayed home <sighs> Just and...
2: crammed inside with all that sickness.
0: Crammed inside with all the sickness. I'm. You could say I'm down with the okay. sickness.
2: <laughs> there it is. What, did you fall into any bad habits over your nine days stuck inside? Did you, any old habits come back?
0: I made a lot of pancakes and I played a lot of Minecraft. That sounds so.
2: That sounds okay. <laughs> I ate so many pancakes. How, wait, how? What was the last time you played Minecraft seriously?
0: Um, I actually, I, I go back to Minecraft like at least once every six months, yeah. or so, and I'll play for like are you a s- week or so.
2: Are you on vanilla Minecraft? Yeah. Or are you like modded out? Are you? No. Okay. No I'm, mods. I'm vanilla.
0: No mods. Okay. My computer can't handle anything. I can't have any nice shaders.
2: You can't have, like, a cool witch's broom or, like... So that's my favorite thing I've ever done with Minecraft. Well, uh, uh, I've done a couple of favorite things, which is, like, I really like maps that are, like, quest maps or that have, like, a story or whatever. Um, But I also just like getting... Not buying, but, like, downloading a big mod pack that's, Mm -hmm. like, oh, 15 different mod packs are in this one super mod Mm -hmm. pack. Mm -hmm. And then be like, all right, go. And then some shit happens that you just don't expect because... you don't know what the mods are. So like I definitely – I was playing with a friend of mine once and we had a a big mod pack in. And we were just like exploring and we came to like a a castle with like castle grounds and like a a tower where there was a lich at the top. And like we went through the whole thing. It was like a dungeon. At the end, I found a recipe for a flying broomstick. I was like that's not – I was like, oh, well, you have to cast the spell with the ch- – you have to draw the circle on the ground with the chalk. Yeah. And then you have to get like the five hairs of the five ca- – and like what are you talking so about? so not
0: Minecraft. It's so not it's Minecraft. It's so good But it was though.
2: so cool to be like – because it felt like finding a real yeah. magical like recipe mm-hmm, or something. Mm-hmm. It was like – oh, yeah, I have no idea what any of this bullshit is. Like, okay, cool. And that was a really nice feeling. Minecraft is good.
0: And they keep adding shit to the game. Mm -hmm. So, like, the map I'm on right now, like, I keep finding a bunch of ravines, and uh, I just went to hell last night. And there are a bunch of, like, new enemies that I've never seen before, and I found some castle in hell that I was, like, sprinting through and um, fought a bunch of Blaze and... Got a bunch of blaze rods. Minecraft is good. It's good. I are you
2: like... are you a builder or are you more of like an explorer?
0: I am so bad at building. Like creative mode is not my not my thing. I like to hunt, uh-huh. and I like to by hunt I mean just like walk up to some pig that's uh, like, there and Brah. just kill it. Yeah. Um, I like fighting enemies, and I like to like explore. Okay. So Rob, mining you... mining is my shit. I love to mine.
2: Have you done any Minecraft?
1: No, because I, I always sort of felt like. So when the Minecraft ca- like craze took off, it kind of felt like you were divided into two classes, right? Like, you were either one of those, like, industrious creative souls who was like, yeah. I'm recreating the Commodore 64 Inside of Minecraft. <laughs> or yeah, yeah, yeah. you are just some kind of like miserable taker who was just like playing adventures and like building castles in Minecraft. And like, that's not creative. That's not the point of Minecraft. Be like, it can be whatever you want it to be, unless your imagination is impoverished. Is your imagination <laughs> impoverished,
2: Zachney? Rob, there are two words in Minecraft, mine and craft. Yes. You can either be craft or you could be mine and, like, do mining and that's it. That's fine. That's okay. You Mm -hmm. can take. It's in the name.
0: That's the good thing about, uh, like, being on your own server with friends. Like, I am not for, like, public servers where there's a ton of rules and people come and they grief your shit and they steal from you because that's happened. I'm way more into, like, being on a server with your friends and just, like, doing whatever you want. Also... Rob, I'll send you a very inspirational Twitter video of a Minecraft rap um, no, where a kid is just no, like, wrong. Minecraft, or my diamonds, Ooh. Minecraft, my diamonds, yeah, and he does a dance. It's really good. It'll, it'll inspire you, you know?
1: I definitely feel inspired.
0: <sighs> okay, good. Monday, baby.
1: Speaking of going to hell... <laughs> We're here now. Uh, no.
2: Uh, speaking of castles and finding castles, i actually been playing a game that i mentioned like once or twice. We've covered it on the site. Uh, it's called Unexplored, mm-hmm. and it's like the game I most want people to try to play because I feel like it's one of those things that's – it's been a very busy first front of the year, and so little PC games don't get noticed very much. Um, Jack DeKeat wrote about it for us in his column a couple of weeks ago, uh, and I hadn't played it at that point. I, read, I was like, oh, that sounds good, but it also sounds like the sort of thing where – Jack is uh, a very evocative writer. Mm-hmm. I aspire to, like, paint pictures the way Jack does in my writing. And I know that sometimes in doing that, you can present a personal take that that reflects your real experience. But that might not reflect what other people have with a game. Yeah. I've also hit that, obviously, with Stellaris in the past and other games where I'm like, I've had a, an incredible experience. That doesn't mean that you will. Sorry. But I finally got around to playing Unexplored. And I've settled into, like a – um a mode with it where it has become my go-to I have 30 to 40 minutes to kill at night and I'm trying to wind down and mm. I want to play something um it is a roguelite uh in in the kind of um I guess it's it, – in my mind, it's a little closer to traditional roguelikes in that, like, it's a dungeon exploring game. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to go deep into a dungeon and find a, an amulet or some bullshit and bring it back and then you win. Yeah. Uh, and you have, like, a strength stat. And you you don't really have a ton of stats, but you do have a strength stat and then, like, a, a set number of inventory slots and stuff like that. Uh, but it's an action roguelike in that you're, you're in direct control. And I may have mentioned this briefly before. You're in direct control and it's really smooth and fun and, like – the combat is really precise and really deliberate. It kind of has that thing that like Souls-style games have of like, okay, every move counts because there's a cooldown after every attack. But the thing that's really incredible is just the way that the dungeons are generated. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the big thing with it is all of the levels of the dungeon are generated all at once Mm -hmm. whereas traditionally a lot of roguelikes have a thing where it's like oh you go into a level and it generates the dungeon of that level and this it does them all at once and it knows what's like 12 levels down Yeah. so that means that it can like start to almost like it can kind of like lead you into that stuff. It can kind of like show you the barrel of the gun in a sense. It's like on level three, I found a a book that says the fucking, the Marine magus, that guy is real trouble. I'm like, oh, I don't want to fucking deal with the marine mages. And like, level four, well, you're
0: gonna deal with right the marine at some point. Mages. At level yeah. four,
2: I find a thing that's like uh, a water sigil. And like, okay, well, if it's the marine mages, I bet he has water spells, so I can I can forge that into my armor, so that when I eventually find him, I'll be ready to fight him. Yeah. And like, bit by bit, so and it's then like setting you up, it, it sets you up, and then it also does that just because it knows the marine mages is there. It dropped the water sigil at level four because it knows that I can use it to build armor. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like the one way it does that, and it also just does like lots of good hub worlds. And the, the big thing for me, the thing that. Stuck out the most over the last week of playing was that it really communicates geography in a way that a lot of roguelikes don't. Most roguelikes feel like box room connect to box room connect to box room, and you're
0: also not like paying attention or looking to pay attention to that kind of stuff.
2: No, you're going into a room and killing the monsters, and going to the next room and killing the monsters. Especially like top-down traditional roguelike style stuff. And in this, there was this moment where I came into a new level and I stepped out, and it was just a huge field of snow. And then there was, like, a smaller castle inside of that field of snow. This is why I thought of castles when you're talking about hell and castles. And, uh, and like, oh, wow, like, it feels like I'm in the fields outside of this castle, and then I can go forward to it. Like, I've never felt, like, an, in an open space in a roguelike like this before. I've only ever felt, like, the Binding of Isaac style, like, here's the room you're in. Mm-hmm, or even the, mm-hmm. even, you know, I've I, I played a ton of rogues uh, roguelikes over the years. Even things like dungeon crawl. Like, you feel like, okay, I'm in a room, and then there's another room next to it. Yeah. Or here, when I finally got to the, the marine mean mages like oh it's a huge underground cavernous lake and the whole center of the level is a lake it was a cool fight I-, I just think people are gonna like skip it because it has a really bad name unexplored is a terrible name um, or it's like an okay name but it's not a name that's gonna like, catch anybody's eye yeah. i'm gonna try to do a stream of it at some point soon because i that's really love fun. it i'm gonna
0: check it out you should i'm like very into roguelikes
2: you and, would like yeah. it i think yeah. um it's really fun to throw things like ah it's just it the it just feels good it, it just feels good. good uh speaking of solaris though yeah Rob, you told me you were still you were still playing that and that surprised me.
1: Yeah, um it, you seemed not down on it but you seemed like I don't know, where are you at? So the thing I wrote last week was in part driven by two things. One, uh the internet's insatiable need for content. But two, the fact that we had an interesting con- like watching how you related this to Laris sort of made mm-hmm. me reflect on like why I didn't have that relationship with it. And so, like, I I still feel like Stellaris doesn't do a great job of getting across some of the things that I really love in a a space, in in a sci-fi game, which is, like, you know, some some world building, giving you an idea for for there being a life to the universe outside the game mechanics. However, as space, like, grand strategy games go, it's it's still pretty good. Um, I've been... You know, sort of taking, uh, taking my little empire of, of noble bears, of science bears, science bears. To, to glory, uh, basically because while we sort of lost the horse race for colonizing the stars, we did corner mm-hmm. the market on terraforming uh, rare resources. Ooh. In a lot of strategy games, there's this dichotomy. You can be a broad or a wide empire, or a deep or a tall empire, right? So you're are you, are you a mile wide and an inch deep, or are you foot wide and a miles giant, deep? Yeah,
2: right. And uh, uh, right.
1: And so that's kind of the direction I'm going. Is I've taken my slightly impoverished corner of space and have started turning it <laughs> into this like new Eden. As I'm taking just every single planet and making it like literally the perfect. Habitat for my species uh, And I can do right. that really fast And really cheaply uh, Terraforming is hugely expensive huh. in this game But I can do it, Austin, I can do it For 850 energy credits I can, That's no that's money That's no money, like usually it's like 5,000 To get something to continental yeah. level How do you, you just happen to have You just teched it in that direction I think it's because I, I control three different Terraforming resources uh, And so okay. each so one like all,
2: So like the way, right, yeah. okay so, like there's a resource that's like, oh, I have this resource, which means it's easier for me to terraform. Is it by planet or is it just a total discount? I forget. Uh, it's by planet. Okay. So it's like oh like desert this makes desert planets easier to terraform. Oh into, no no no, like, no I think it's, it's
1: universal. So it is universal in that regard. Oh okay cool. uh, it is more expensive gotcha. to take a planet that's super un hospitable and turn it into like a temperate uh continental world, right? Gotcha. So like it's cool. easy to take an ocean planet and make it temperate, but it's way harder to take an arid rock and make it uh habitable. So this is what I've been doing is I've, I've sort of been creating this uh this sort of utopian uh, playground for for my empire that's also started to let us oh the other thing my people did is we totally went the sentient ai uh direction with Ooh. things
2: okay so you have robots that can didn't vote build now the robots.
1: robots didn't build the robots oh, except what? you can have the sentient ai and get the research bonus without oh. robots however i had a science faction that was like we really want the robots what if you built some robots? <laughs> that's Austin. That's Austin's I built faction. Robots. So I, wow. built, I built one robot on this far empire, this far planet, on the edge <laughs> of the empire. The minute I built that, that robot, they were like, cool, we have robots. That's, that's all we wanted, man. We got robots. But now they're like, we'd really like if we had more robots. <laughs> what if we had more robots doing manual labor? And I was like, "That sounds uh, good." It doesn't. Well, it doesn't sound good because we got se- we got sentient AI. Like, if we build a bunch of robots, right. it's going to be like literally a, literally a week before they're also forming a union, <laughs> and then a week after that, well, we're against
2: the wall. We're against the wall. Maybe you could just integrate the robots, or maybe you could work for the robots. They're really good. I,
1: look, I am not. I am not against integrating. I've actually got open borders. Like. For whatever reason, other species aren't attracted to my... No, to the ro-
2: to the bears and robots they're not they're not thrilled with nobody's like you know what science bears. nobody's <laughs>
1: like i think a better life awaits me among the bears and their robot slaves like nobody
2: <laughs> that's the colony no that's the offworld colony from blade runner right? a better life awaits and then what you didn't see is on the other
1: side of that blimp was a picture of a bear in a lab coat <laughs> with a robot next to it so so i'm not actually, i'm not actually sure what we're what we're headed towards and this is the weird thing uh, about a lot of these games, is that I, I feel like so many of their their mechanics point in the direction of conflict. That when mm-hmm. there's not a lot of grounds for conflict in a universe, you start to run into problems of like, what are we doing here? Like what? Like what are we yeah. all playing this game for? And I played like a bite sized game <laughs> of Stellaris. It's a smaller. It's a smaller galaxy. Um, I'm in a federation with mm-hmm. the most powerful faction in the game. I'm the most technologically advanced. That third guy we've got in our faction, I'm sure he's doing something great. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, he is a valuable player.
2: I think he just, like, puts out really good TV shows. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's the place where just like, listen, y'all got, y'all got Space Westworld? Shit's, this shit's good. Uh,
1: the third guy did, like, he was like, what if we just killed these space... Religious zealots who are in the middle of our federation who hate us all, and okay, everyone else was like, "Yeah, let's do it." And I, I was like, "I guess, I guess, if we're doing this, like, I'll sure, I'll, I'll send some. You'll go along with it." But the problem is, once I did that, I built this huge fleet. Now I got a huge fleet, and I'm kind of mm-hmm. wondering, like, what I could get up to with a huge fleet, and don't want to be stay with the, friends with these guys. But the problem is, it's not that big a galaxy. I'm in this huge like alliance where we all love each other.
2: And and there's no conflict for you that is like engaging at this point because you keep resolving any problems that can
1: right. Happen. So now I'm just basically I think playing. For is this your game? first time through? Is this the first like? This is the deepest you've gotten into a Solaris game? It might be. It's definitely the most I've, the deepest I've gotten since launch. Since like yeah. launch. like I missed yeah. all the in between patches.
2: What I will say is, I think that Utopia, the most recent update, was like all about making the mid game more interesting. The end game, there was always a chance to get interesting because they have like. Uh, I forget what their terminology is for but basically crisis, like, like oh, so, the crisis, yeah. right, a galactic crisis, where like, oh, yeah, something goes bad. that could be that your AI becomes like hyper sentient and hyper aware and build themselves into a future like Terminator state. Um, or it could be weird creatures come out of a void somewhere. And I'm hoping your game gets to one of those sooner than later, because those tend to be like the thing that the Federation – butts up against, like, a strong Federation can butt up against that and not be prepared for it. And, like, even though, like, you're able to m- mop the floor with all of the space zealots and all of your, you know, the the uh, hyper-capitalists who are trying to, like, use their banks to bury your federation like oh yeah those guys aren't a problem you're strong enough to deal with them but when the void talkers come through the dark gate like oh fuck like our our fleet is not big enough for the void talkers and then and then you have to deal with those i don't think they're actually called the void talkers i forget what they're actually
0: but, i mean called. that'd be good if they were
2: speaking of void talkers really quick i want to shout out a new podcast
0: Oh, yeah. By Motherboard.
2: Motherboard.vice.com obviously is our website here. Advice about technology and mm-hmm. science and and culture. Hackers. And hackers. What else? What else is uh, uh, the
0: putting, environment? Putting switch uh, controllers up your butt.
2: OK, we're going to move on. That, now that, you said that one. This uh There's a new podcast coming out. It's called Science Solved It. It is a, a quote, a deep dive. Into the World's Greatest Mysteries That Were Solved by Science. It's brought to you by the Motherboard staff. It's hosted by uh, staff writer Kaylee Rogers. I know this because I was on the first episode, and the first episode, briefly just as a setup, is about the bloop. Do you know what the
1: bloop is?
0: Um, I, I know because I, I watched the trailer.
1: Okay. Rob, do you know about the bloop? I have no idea. Is this like a 90s kids show thing? <laughs> yes. No. No. Oh.
0: <laughs> it's not a
2: kids' show. Almost. When I was when I was growing up in the late '90s, early 2000s, scientists found this sound, this weird bloop. This is why I bring up the, in relation to the Void Talkers. There was just this like underwater somewhere. There was this strange bloop, and one of the things that people thought was, "Is it Cthulhu?" Uh, and so I'm on this podcast talking about Cthulhu, and I think we have a clip that we're going to play in in uh, a sec. Yeah, hold your question until you hear the promo in which I talk about Cthulhu. I was sure it was Cthulhu.
0: That might explain why one of the most prominent theories surrounding the bloop came from the world of horror sci-fi master H.P. Lovecraft, the sea monster Cthulhu. To learn more about this creature, I spoke to Austin Walker. He's the editor-in-chief of ICE's gaming site, Waypoint. Austin is well-versed in a lot of pop culture, and that includes literature like H.P. Lovecraft, who created Cthulhu. Or is it Cthulhu?
2: The characters in this kind of big Cthulhu mythos, we can't pronounce them correctly. Like, I say Cthulhu, and anybody who's going to write and correct me is wrong, because Lovecraft is pretty clear you can't pronounce those names because we don't have tentacles and 30 tongues, and there's, like, Cthulhu, there's Cthulhu. The CTH can be just, like, Cthulhu?
0: However you pronounce it, Cthulhu is an unimaginably massive sea creature that featured in Lovecraft's 1928 short story, The Call of Cthulhu. When the bloop became public, Lovecraft fans couldn't help but make the connection between this loud, unidentified call from the deep and their favorite Lovecraftian creature.
2: It's not like, oh, it made a bloop. The descriptions of the sorts of sounds it make generally are related to in terms of effect. It and other Old gods, the old ones, whatever the deep ones, whatever you want to call the various creatures of Lovecraft's mythos, make sounds that drive people mad, that obsess people, that are unexplainable, that can't be related to other categories of sound that we already have. In that way, like the bloop is, again, a perfect fit. Part of why young teen Austin loved the bloop story was like, ooh, it could be anything. All right, so that is science solved it, and that is available. Uh, there's a there's like a preview episode that you can go subscribe to right now on all of your podcasts purveyors. Uh, There's but-
0: also a clip of the preview with subtitles on our Twitter. So if nice. you go to our Twitter, we retweeted a motherboard tweet.
2: Awesome. Twitter yeah. is uh, twitter.com slash waypoint. Yes. So, and then tomorrow that full episode will come out and you can hear me talk about Cthulhu, Cthulhu. You can also <laughs> hear a real scientist who's like, no, dog, Like I know what that is. We've figured it out. That's no, it's- I don't want
0: Hear that, though. That's why it's called science. Solved it is.
2: We solved it. We figured it out. We didn't. We're not just fools.
0: No, I want it to be Cthulhu.
2: No, you don't.
0: I do. You,
2: I, you do not. I promise. I, d- I I've never, read that I never story. want
0: any of that stuff solved.
2: That's fair. I get that. I get the desire to not want, like, to want some mystery in life. Yeah, I'm not gonna spoil it. You'll have okay. to listen, okay. Rob. What's your beef with me and Cthulhu? <laughs>
1: Not look, I have no beef with you and Cthulhu. Uh, if like, I, <laughs> I want you guys, you guys to, to be happy together. Like, like, really, like <laughs> Mazeltov. My, my best, okay. my, my best wishes for you. I guess I'm more curious about the fact that there was a purported need for science to solve uh-huh. Cthulhu. Because somebody well, heard a no, noise no. on an underwater recording device.
2: The sound was weird.
1: So wow. you're
0: a skeptic. So you, you are a skeptic.
2: It was weird. They were like, well, ain't the things that we think it is. It doesn't match the things that we think it is.
0: I personally love the fact that people automatically were like, this is related to Cthulhu.
2: Well, because it fit. OK, so the, there's a bit in there that I didn't bring up, which is like the, I believe like the coordinates were close to where? To hell?
0: kilometers to hell!
2: Yeah. They were yeah. close to where Cthulhu was supposed to have been yeah. in the in the ocean, basically. Okay. Cthulhu's from the stars, of course, but then crash landed on Earth and mm-hmm, fell in mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. ocean, and they crashed a ship in. Okay, H.P. Lovecraft, huge racist. Anyway,
1: science contributed a lot. Not the racism, to, anyway. Science, ugh. the Cthulhu mythos. Right, correct.
2: Speaking of things that have problematic uh, content that you still like, we actually got a couple of questions very similar about this. I think Lovecraft is actually a really adequate jumping off point to this, right? Like Lovecraft is someone who's written a lot of uh, very important uh, uh, sci-fi and horror, who's contributed a lot to the notion of cosmic horror, Mm -hmm. also wrote many stories in which the horrific twist was that black people slept with white people. Um yes. had a cat named Niggerman.
0: Ooh. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's a thing.
0: Ooh.
1: mm mm-hmm. Mhm. That's Boy, a thing he Boy, I guess we you put it all like that.
2: The yeah, story well, sounds like that. Rad.
0: Uh-huh. Oh my but- god. But
2: you can be in a situation where you're like, oh, there's still something here that I want to salvage. Uh, and I bring this up because we've got two questions in that I'm going to read right now. This first one comes in from Tom from Jersey. I don't know if it's from New Jersey or maybe from the island of Jersey out in Europe. I don't. This is a kind of a, a tricky question to ask, says Tom, so apologies in advance if this is a little confusing. Y'all have mentioned on the podcast how there are games that you love that have segments that you don't really like, like that weirdly transphobic part of the Gerudo quest in Breath of the Wild. I'm currently playing Persona 5, and why I love the game so far, it's frustrating that it falls into a lot of the same tropes as other Japanese games do, like female nudity, gay stereotypes uh, that are played for laughs. When the subject gets brought up online, the most common excuse is, well, that sort of stuff is ingrained in Japanese culture, so you just have to deal with it. Some people go as far as to say that if the sexist and homophobic jokes in Japanese games bother you, then you shouldn't play them to begin with. I personally really enjoy games like Persona and Zelda, but since these games are being made for global audiences, I think it's justified to call out these scenes as sexist or homophobic regardless of how it's perceived in Japan. On one forum, someone went as far as to call me a xenophobe for wanting to push Western ideas, quote, quote unquote, uh, on an Eastern-made product, which I personally think is ridiculous. I also want to mention that despite your and my hatred of Yosuke from Persona 4 for his homophobic tendencies, a pre-Persona 5 character poll in Japan actually had him as the number one most popular Persona character. So clearly that kind of character has appeal over there but that poll also had fucking Adachi as number three so maybe the Japanese Persona fans are just I don't know Um, Adachi has has his fans is what I'll say Uh, so my question is this what is your response to this kind of uh this kind of excuse for problematic content in japanese games mainly the idea that uh because sexist and homophobic jokes are more accepted in japanese culture it's just something that westerners have to deal with in japanese games regardless of our personal views on the subject and i'll just add briefly from the another question that we can kind of combine the two i'm not going to read this whole second one though um but erin from from dublin and ireland writes that uh that she's also playing persona 5 right now with with her boyfriend um and that like it has satisfying gameplay and cool characters and awesome music but also gay panic transphobia it's constantly sexualizing its female characters there's like sketchy stuff where you're trying to fix a neurodivergent character like there's all this stuff here and and Aaron wants to know what to do about that. Uh, she writes, um, I don't know what to do with it because it's so enjoyable, but, but I, I, how do I deal with it? There's, there's talk about voting with your wallet sometimes, but we've already bought the game, and I have doubts of the effectiveness uh, on that small scale. Do we address Atlas directly? Do we talk about it on social media as much as possible in, in the hopes of catching their attention? Do we just give up on a series because I don't think, because I don't think things would get worse than Teddy, but I seem to have been wrong? Danica, you've dealt a lot with Japanese companies and content in your life.
0: Yes. So, one of the things that I can tell you from my experience working at Crunchyroll and my experience like traveling to Japan and working with content publishers, um, a lot of this stuff is somewhat ingrained in, in Japanese culture. Like, a lot of this stuff was not taboo in Japan. Mm-hmm. And, um, And you sad because you're out of coffee. You had a coffee. coffee. One of the things this is specific to anime that uh, heavily influences choices that are made in Japan are people consuming the content. Like Mm -hmm. Japanese publishers pay a lot of attention to numbers. Social media has like been huge over the last few years. So being loud on social media does reach people. My personal take on stuff is there's a lot of content out there. The creators could like be problematic somehow. Like the cre- the creator of Attack on Titan.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Is like s- believes in imperialism and like Yep. That's starting to come through in the manga and like that in itself is problematic. Does that mean I don't enjoy Attack on Titan? No, I do enjoy Attack on Titan while well, also keeping in mind
2: this dude's
0: this guy's Views and, and like, it's the same as
2: for it, and like kind of looking for it in the piece, or like are you able? Like, to clearly... I'm not
0: looking for it. No, okay. it's like I know this thing exists. I I watch the content, like I watch the show. Am I thinking about Hajime Isayama while I'm watching the show? No, I'm not.
2: That's the guy's but name.
0: It, yeah, okay. Hajime Isayama. But I am thinking about it sometimes. It's also the same as like the person who wrote Gundam Unicorn, right? Believes in the same shit. Yep, uh,
2: which is like super weird for that show because that show has such a anti. I, anyway,
0: one of the, one of the things also though is you're constantly seeing people being uh, like destroyed on social media for enjoying these things by people who are so uh, paying such close attention to the creators or paying Ooh. such close attention to like so a thing that happens in the game.
2: Counterpoint though is like, y'all like. Japan has gay people. A lot of the like a lot of the pushback that I see from people who issue so people issue social critique and then you get the pushback from fans who say like yeah it's just that's how it is in Japan. Japan is just homophobic and you were not allowed to be yeah. Oh yeah, I like am that.
1: sure the people making that argument have really done the homework on like <laughs> yeah, how no, other I know. cultures I know. like handle handle uh. these issues. I'm sure they're just interested in it from an anthropological standpoint. <laughs> and appreciate the diversity of peoples and beliefs on this beautiful planet. Yeah.
0: Also, stuff in Japan has gotten much better over the years. Right, like, that's, the,
2: that's the actual thing for me is like there's actually a really uh, – from from the research I have done uh, when these questions come up, like uh, I, I kind of – um, emerging and exploding queer scene in Japan oh yeah where like incredible people are doing incredible things and the sort of notion of like oh no that's Japan doesn't have an issue with that right now quote yeah. unquote is like very disturbing to me
0: my friend my friend and her girlfriend just got their like same sex partnership certificate like the other day mm-hmm. which is something that is only recognized in like a certain number of wards in Japan wards or like counties right um but the fact that that's even, like, being recognized at all is a huge step forward for Japan. Like, Japan is getting better. And I also don't think it's good to use the excuse of this stuff is ingrained in Japanese culture. Right. Like, just deal with it. Right.
2: Well, so we actually just had a piece go up um, by a, a freelancer, Emma Kidwell, um, who uh, is Japanese-American, also uh, grew up in, J- in Japan, and kind of takes down this notion that the monoculture of Japan is this perfect Clean thing, which is ironic because Persona 5 also takes that aim on Japan yes. as being a kind of a place that has problems yeah. socially, politically, but then also falls into these specific traps. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess for, from my perspective, the other thing is, it to, speaks to, to Tom's uh, original question is like, yes, there are global audiences. One of the things, the first things that I wrote, I think, that got eyes on it was a piece about Animal Crossing. Um, a new leaf for DS and the fact that I had to literally tan in that game to have dark skin. I had to like spend hours underneath the sun in that game in order to make my character's skin match mine and Jesus. maintain it. So it was really weird. Um, but uh, a lot of the case that I heard was like, well, you're American. This game doesn't apply to you, basically. Like, yeah, but like Americans buy this game. We're part of the consumer base. And Nintendo, it's Nintendo. They it ain't making, like Nintendo don't they're know. They're not
0: making games strictly for Japanese audiences. Like, Regardless uh, of what people think, like <laughs> content is not being made only for Japanese audiences. They want to sell this shit a, totally. all over.
2: And then when Animal Crossing Happy Home Designer came out, you could choose skin color. Yeah. And, and so, like, to me, like... Who and what knows? do you
0: think? What do you think right, went I, into
2: that? I think that they went into, like, thinking about what their global audience looked like and, and a small way in which they could appeal to people like me mm-hmm. and, and other people who wanted to have black and brown characters. Um, and I, I don't think that that's too much to ask for from a company that's providing you something. Uh, and I don't think that that is cultural imperialism. I don't think that like, hey, it's not like Japan has not had its own strange history with race, right? Like, and troubling history with race. Like, it's not like... Japanese ethnicity hasn't been a contested thing that uh, in which they have also had to en- or have engaged in mm-hmm. issues of racism and and uh, sort of bordering off what counts as truly Japanese mm-hmm. like if you study this stuff you'll see a history of that.
0: Yeah. Um, so what do you what do you do then? Like what do you do? So me
2: like I write about it and talk about it yeah. and have historically done that. It's what I do with yeah. Animal Crossing. It's it's what I do when I play something that's like oh I really love this thing but here is this really big problem. Cuz the thing is like I fucking adore it. Animal Crossing mm-hmm. Relief. Like it was mm-hmm. – I only did that because I loved playing that game mm-hmm. and wanted to keep playing that game and wanted to see myself reflected in that world. Um, so I do my best to speak out about that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. But I I guess my question ends up being like is there a line for either of you where you're like, mm, this is too far. I can't – whatever my enjoyment level is, I can't get over something that's in this game um, that I don't like or that – the maybe the whole quality of the game isn't there where like you're enthused enough about it that you're willing to to forgive those problems or or not even forgive but so
1: wrong. just this is as an example of something I went through like pretty recently uh, I like cars I like racing games I used to be really into uh, Top Gear like mm, and Jeremy fair. Clarkson was a pretty witty commentator on cars and a decent and a decent writer and I was able to write off a lot as tone deafness sure until it became clear that after a certain point he'd heard the critiques he just didn't give a shit and neither did anyone else involved mm-hmm. with that show and then I get, like took a couple years off and I thought I was I thought I was past it and I didn't really you know I was I was willing to sort of deal with them on so, uh, on their terms, almost. Or I tried to make that bargain, and I was feeling a little nostalgic. And I gave their show on Amazon a shot, the Grand Tour, <laughs> and within uh-huh. like ten minutes, I was like, "Oh, this is unbearable!" Like because one cause it turned out like, once you saw it, once you once you realized that it wasn't obliviousness, it was complete indifference, and to a degree, almost glee in like. Sort of wallowing in the stereotypes and the laziness, mm. that the entire thing became tainted. Now there was no single joke, there was no single goof that they could pull that you couldn't also right. read all these other meanings into it. And for me, that's that is the moment where like it truly breaks for me. Is I think mean, I can play something like uh, right now I'm working through Persona Four. I can play that and like deal with the fact that you uh, Yosuke is. Is kind of clueless because one, the character is is clueless as hell, so you can always say, "Well, that guy's an idiot." Uh, but mm-hmm. but two, it doesn't feel like there's you don't get the sense of there being like a persistent malice in Persona Four. Mm. What I think is starting to get uncomfortable. With Persona Five is that it's kind of pointed to some of these issues, but then it's turning around and saying, "Ah, but we can still have our our homophobic humor, right? <laughs> That's still funny, right?" And right. I don't know, like Persona Five, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people. Do feel starting to cross that line where where now it's starting to seem malicious. If it comes up in the next Persona game, it's <laughs> that 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 circle you're gonna that that room to run is is way more constrained. Right.
2: I think about this stuff a lot when it comes to both. Hey, the creators' politics are weird, and the the work itself has rough politics in it in which i think there is for me a a certain calculus that is about what i'm doing with my time and it's not an up and down clean clear simple thing like Mm -hmm. it's not like it's not clean math it is like blurry and there are times when i fall on one side of it and my professional curiosity sees me through something because Mm -hmm. i want to write about it or because i want to experience it uh and other times i'm like "Eh, i could be spending my time on something else Uh, there's this this what i come back to again and again is this exchange between an anonymous uh question asker and then gail simone the comics writer and then john john Darnielle from the mountain goats uh An anonymous person asks, what's wrong with being willing to separate an author from their work? Why is that so hard? Especially Ender's Game, which aside from one or two lines from some stupid boys in the book, holds next to none of Card's horrible views. Um, You shouldn't borrow good literature just because the author is a terrible person. And Gail Simone says, do what you want. I will choose to do the same. Orson Scott Card is not just a raging homophobe. He actively worked to enact legislation to oppress rights for LGBTQ people. He said he would try to bring down the government if they disregard, or if they, sorry, if they disagreed. Seriously, screw that guy. There are a thousand books I haven't yet read uh, that don't have that guy like attached and then John Darnielle adds this is exactly my position on this kind of thing by the way I don't need to separate an author from his work if the author is a truly terrible hu- human being nobody's perfect I don't ask anybody to be perfect I just ask them to you know not be Nazis or virulent homophobes but if they are then I don't care how good their work is purported to be I don't happen to I don't have to listen to Burzum there's no shortage of amazing black metal that isn't written by racist murderers <laughs> the amount of tremendous black metal that meets the not the work of an appalling a part appallingly horrible person yardstick is sufficient to excuse me from having to listen to the stuff that's made by assholes uh, so when people go into the i separate the art from the artist thing i'm like why if we live several lifetimes we should all be so lucky we won't read all the good books or hear all of the great music uh we can all we can allow our artists to be human and make mistakes and even big huge everybody has their personal lows mistakes while still saying artists who are just worthless garbage as people who actively and unapologetically campaign to make others lives worse don't deserve to have their work read. We will not actually miss much. We can put our attention elsewhere. There is no shortage of amazing books to read, incredible music to hear. Unless, unless one wants to claim, no, no, these terrible people artists are actually the best artists, in which case I think one might want to more closely examine one's aesthetics. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. that, to me, is, is where I end up falling, which is, like, for... And this isn't why I'm not diving back into Persona necessarily, but it, it is weighing on the decision a little bit. Like, for every hour I put into Persona, that is something I could be putting into unexplored, or into something else that I've never heard of, that comes from a creator who I don't know what their politics are. I don't know what the politics of the Persona, of, of the Atlas dev team is either. I'm not I'm not making any claim about that. Uh, but I am claiming what I've read from people about the, the homophobia in that game, and, and from the kind of, like, weird stuff around neurodivergence. Um, and, like, that is a sort of thing that has to come in my mind. It's like, where am I spending my time? Yeah. Do I want to play this new weird project? Do I want to play Edith Finch or do I want to play this – which is a mystery to me and and for my time playing with it, like, seems really interesting and, and like, it could have some really – some fresh themes and, and ideas. Or do I want to go back to this thing that, like, I, I have a real great fondness for in Persona 5 but that has these issues that I, I can't quite get over. Like, every few hours I'm going to be like, uh mm. mm-hmm. And it's a tough thing, and I don't think I don't think there's one right answer for everybody
1: necessarily.
0: It's definitely something that I, uh, having s- not played Horizon until after our interview mm. with the the creators, yeah, there came was, some, out. It was, it was
2: the developers, yes, yeah. um, where the we talked about was. like the
0: use of the term "brave" right. and all of that. I I didn't start playing Horizon until after that had come out, so I, I knew about how they felt. I knew.
2: Can you, you give know, like a little? Con-
1: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: Text on what that um, was. So, uh, I'll pull a
0: quote. They, they talked about uh, the use of the term brave and uh, in, in the piece – there wasn't really uh, an acknowledgement of it being mm-hmm. any type of like misuse <laughs> right. um, and instead was just like people are too sensitive
2: mm-hmm. so uh, there was a uh Dia or Dia, I actually don't know the pronunciation, uh, Dia Lacina, a Native American writer, highlighted the game's use of terms like braves, which is the collective noun used for Nora, the lead characters, uh, or sorry, that is the, the the first cultures, the Noras. Warriors, savages, primal, and tribes being, uh, if not disrespectful, then certainly not, not afforded due consideration given the historical connotation for Native Americans. And then in the interview with John Gonzalez, the narrative director of the game, um, he says, you know, talking about the term, quote, brave, with that in particular, our research into it was that it was not a term that would seem to be offensive. We were trying to find a term that would combine the capabilities of a warrior and the capabilities of a hunter. It was a term that we felt was not derogatory. We came across some terms that were definitely slurs against Native Americans and other groups throughout history. And so our decision was based on brave not being a hot button term. Um, and in general, the argument that, that uh, he makes is like this, we were not appropriating anything here. And we tried to pick a term that was not offensive Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. but at the same time say they're not appropriating anything so that was a a weird thing of like uh mm, yeah send a mixed messages
0: y'all and while i didn't I, i i didn't agree with the stuff that he said in that interview i went into the game and it was a thing i thought about like the whole first part of the game i was like wow most of this tribe is white and like they're all calling themselves braves and um, I just kept coming back to this interview and thinking about this interview. So I think for me where there's content that is not necessarily super problematic, there's like these few little Mm -hmm. things here and there that um, are not the best use of like a word or something like that. It's just something I think about, and something that I also try to talk about, like on Twitter or whatever. Right. You know?
2: Right. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing. Rob, do you run into this with strategy games ever? Where you're like,
1: Rob hmm, uh, is making a face. <laughs> people at home. So yeah, you run into a lot of things. You run into a lot of things in strategy games. Uh, there is yeah. the fact that the entire forex genre is predicated on the understanding of the world, as expressed by. Like fifteenth and sixteenth century, like European colonialists and uh, and genocidists. Uh, I mean, that's, yeah. that's sort of baked into a lot of those a, a lot of those games. Is like, hey, there's an entire uh, world out there for you to explore and inhabit, and there is in no way anyone else out there who lives there and who has any sort of <laughs> uh-huh. rights as a person you should respect. Uh, and sometimes that gets a little more explicit. There was this moment a few years ago where a bunch of us were at this uh, multiplayer event for EU4 just before it came out, Europa Universalis 4, and I was talking to Paul Dean uh, from uh, Shut Mm -hmm. Up and Sit Down, a great board gaming show on YouTube, and a really sweet guy. Like Paul is one of the gentlest souls uh, you'll ever meet, and over lunch, he's talking about what he got up to controlling, I want to say, Sweden up in Scandinavia in the Middle Ages, which was ethnically cleansing the Finnish people out of existence. Like, that's what he did in that game. Uh, because <laughs> right. there were penalties from having this, like, restive minority in his empire. And you can spend a lot of your resources to sort of scrub cultures out of existence in, in your empire. You can right. do that. And eventually they just go away. Uh, after a lot of bad things happen between, between uh, you know, the start of that process and the end. And it occurred to us both, as we're sitting there, like that's a that's a really horrifying thing you can get up to in, in this game that's 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 a horrifying thing it's also part of like it's also part of history for a lot of right it's part of history which you're playing as right, right. and you don't have to like or the play game and this is the weird thing is it a neutral thing to model some of the ways that like empires have right. eliminated i don't like and it's a really complicated thing i i like games that try to face that stuff head on though rather like there's an honesty to EU4 I think that you don't find mm-hmm. in a game like civilization or a lot of 4X's that pretend that none of these issues even exist that there's nothing right. political at all about this entire open world uh, where you can create an empire and that doesn't have to hurt anyone so that's right. i mean that's that's a pretty clear case of you know some of the the routine minefields that you run into with historical strategy. Totally, like it's it's we ran a
2: piece a couple of months ago now. I think maybe it wasn't. It was like when you first started, like a month ago now, Rob, uh, called "How Board Games Handle Slavery" by uh, Sam uh, uh, Desitov. and one of the examples in that was like, oh, in in the game Puerto Rico by Andreas Safearth, um, you know, it takes place in the Caribbean in, in the fifteenth century, and. Instead of having slaves, you have, quote-unquote, colonists, which are, like, in the game's world, basically just slaves. Like, they don't require any resources, basically. They just produce things for you. They fill the role that slaves Also, did they come on boats, and, then,
1: and I think they are the
2: only brown counters in the game. They're the only brown counters. and there's a bunch of them. Yes, correct. Uh, and it completely whitewashes it and attempts to sidestep it entirely. And that feels really untrue. And like, it doesn't engage with that mechanic at all because of that. And like, or, or that with that, with that dark history, right? Like with that very troubled history. And so like, mm, like you have to tackle this stuff and it can be difficult to tackle. And I think, I think in persona five's case, for instance, like it's trying to do something when it tries to include a narrative about sexual assault. I don't know that it, sticks the landing on it. And yeah. I I think for me as a critic, the space that I try to occupy is one in which I want to encourage developers to take chances to tackle really difficult issues, but to know that doing that bears responsibility and that it, it means that when it comes out, I will not have a problem criticizing if they misstep. Um, and that that does not mean that they shouldn't continue to try new things. I'm not I, in most cases, I'm not going to be here calling for boycott, right? Yeah. I'm not saying don't buy Puerto Rico the the board game. I'm saying they fucked up. I'm not saying don't buy Persona Five. I'm saying like make please let Atlas know if you're if you're not comfortable with this stuff. Um, I think that that's like the best we can do in our positions, mm-hmm. and I think it's up to each person as an individual where they feel comfortable. Um, and 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 really sitting down and saying what can I do to voice my displeasure if I if I have displeasure.
0: And there, I think there's also a big difference between. Um, engaging with something that is made by a person who, like, is just a, a genuine, like, awful, yes. genuinely awful person than it is to interact with a piece of content that has some stuff that maybe isn't being tackled the right way. You don't really know, like, where their intent lies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, 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 I think, think there's, there's a difference. It's like, I, I don't there's... listen to the chain smokers because they're misogynistic, Assholes and have like voiced right. their misogyny and have like right. you know voiced a lot of awful shit and that's why I don't I don't listen to them. Right.
2: Also, their music's bad. Also, their
0: everyone music's needs bad. to read but, which thing is like, that famous
1: Noisy which is, ran like a couple weeks oh, ago about so the chain good. smokers. By Larry, the
2: way, L- Larry Fitzmarie, shout outs to Larry, uh, wrote an incredible piece about that the chain. Group. Ch- yep, um, but 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 we listen to Migos, right? True. And like this is the fucking difficulty of I being know. a person who has political opinions and who has an under like it is it is very difficult it is difficult to figure out where we draw the lines yeah. and it we are not rational beings we are not consistent we are like deeply inconsistent and i do my best to address that head on and admit that instead of trying to pretend that i have some like set of rules that yeah. breaks it down i yeah. don't know uh, so uh, i don't think that it's like necessarily the most clean answer like yeah. but for me Recognizing the messiness and then, like, Definitely. and doing your best to be engaged and not like passive. Yeah. And being aware of the actions you're making is the best thing mm-hmm. to, to do. And mm-hmm. saying, like, for me, this is like, I eat meat. I don't have a good argument for why I eat meat, other than I like it a bunch. I think it's wrong. I think it's like, I think uh, f- farming in America is shitty and the world is shitty. Uh, I think, like, I probably think it's bad to kill things that are alive and sentient, and mm-hmm. I still eat meat. And I, f- it's a fucking mistake, but I'm gonna keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And I need to like square myself with being that sort of person a mm-hmm. little bit, um, and continue living my life and doing well where I'm better at doing well yeah. and doing good where yeah. I'm better at doing good. So, I don't know. That's, that's me. Uh, Someone wants to know how we got here not to this not to this part of our conversation, but to kind of this part in our career where we 're able to try to like tackle questions like this again, we kind of got two questions from two different people that are very similar. So mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mash them together again. Um, this person comes in and says uh, there was no name attached. So, hey, Waypoint, uh, I'll try to be concise. I flunked out of my first semester of college four years ago. Since then, I've taken GE classes at a community college. and I'm almost done. There are two major issues. The first is I still have no idea what job I want to end up with. The second is that I may have to spend two years at Burnout U uh, to be cleared to go to a university that I can be proud of. Uh, it is in a very uh, isolated place and it's not cheap and it's discouraging me from going back. Meanwhile, the thought of what my career and social life should be by now fills me with existential dread. At this point, I have a hard time telling myself that things will get better. That's fueling an apathy that threatens to overtake my life, thus this email. Um, so, questions, here we go. One, uh, have you ever worried you'll wake up and realize you've been running in place your whole life? Um, <laughs> two, uh, uh your lives are in full throttle right now, and I'm curious how much momentum led you to this point? Were you always hopping from one career stepping stone to the next since high school? If not, how did you find purpose again uh, when you lacked direction and or drive? That last one's the third one. So,
0: um, I think people are often surprised when I talk to them about my personal experience of getting to where I am like career-wise. Um, I went to junior college. I didn't like graduate from a college. I don't Mm -hmm. have a college degree. And that's always been one thing that's like kind of embarrassing for me to talk about because like the companies that I've worked for, a lot of the people have had degrees, you know, Um, but I have a finance background. Like I got into finance because I I just have been working since I was 16 years old. I like I knew when I was young, I wanted to live on my own and, uh, and make money and like do stuff for myself. And that was the biggest driving force in like just continuing to work hard. And because I started working when I was so young, it was like, I had all this random experience that I kind of just like put together when I got into finance. And then that finance experience is what led me to my position at Crunchyroll. Mm. And then a position in marketing at Crunchyroll opened up. And like, because we were still a startup, it was like, you can do whatever you want. (laughs) Right. If you if you like have some knowledge about this, and you can like show us that you can make this a good product, you can just do it. And that's like, what I did. And, and now now I'm here. And And, like, I feel like, I feel like I can look at my resume and people can look at my resume and Feel impressed and like I f- definitely feel good about like all the things that I've done in my history of working. Um, and there have absolutely, absolutely been times where I was like, "Should I go back to school? Mm-hmm. Should I do this? Like, what what do I do right now?" And I think uh, for the most part, I haven't really ever had like a really strict plan for yeah, where, where I was going to go, and years. and that has always worked out for me like I'm big on like taking risks and uh, like if an opportunity presents itself like going for that opportunity obviously like weighing pros and cons and Mm -hmm. stuff like that but uh, I've I've always been relatively impulsive up until I was about 25 and that always worked out totally so
2: Rob what was your path like to have you had did you have like a 10 year plan no Um, or are you? uh, 'cause i've always thought of you up until uh, you know i know that, that you had a job before us and and like a full-time gig before us and then obviously you're full-time here but for years i thought of you as like one of the hardest working freelancers in video games um, which is a fucking hustle yeah. man it's you got to you have to bust your ass
1: yeah like at first of all, i'm not entirely sure this email wasn't sent by like past me uh, like this this might actually be like <laughs> true yeah same
0: yeah same no same uh, same
1: no and and i think so there's something really pernicious that happens around the time you turn 20 which is that mm-hmm. the the delta between your where you're at in your life and how you feel about the direction it's taking and all the bullshit you've been told by your parents and guidance counselors and all that stuff really begins to take its toll because throughout your teen years everyone is telling you that you need this 10-year plan uh-huh. and that like oh that you know what college you get into is going to determine the course of your life well what you do with that college education is going to determine the course of your life it can have uh-huh. an influence but the thing is Standing at the other side of my twenties, there was no map. There was no like we wow. I was I was off script by the time I was like I was twenty two. And then I was off script again when I was twenty six or, or twenty seven. Like life is confusing and complicated, and what I have learned is that you don't necessarily make plans, you just try to do things that will maximize your, your good options. And right. I would not I would not sweat being in the place that this, that this letter writer is at because it's a thing that like there's got a lot of external expectations that are gonna make that feel shitty. But you're, you're so young and there's so many moves you can you can still make. Uh, and if you just keep maximizing your options and opening doors, eventually things begin to break your way.
2: What do you mean by that when you say, like, maximizing options?
1: Okay, so the reason I was pretty successful as, as a freelancer, uh, and I don't say that to, like, I'm not trying to boast. It's a very difficult job. You're
2: bragging, I get it. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it's a very difficult job to You're... make a, a living wage. Uh, and it's yes. an even more difficult job to make sort of a middle-class income, and I managed to do that. But the thing that... Uh, that I I did that I learned throughout a lot of that process is that you never want all your plans and all your direction to be hanging on one or two things going your way. The best, the the place I was happiest to be was sort of standing in the middle of a lot of interesting and intriguing directions for me to go. And then committing to one following that until more options opened up. And then seeing, you know, taking that survey again. Like never mm-hmm. like I never felt like I, I had arrived anywhere. I never felt like there was an end goal I was heading towards. For me, the thing that really interested me was always being in that place where <laughs> it's a lot like in Heat where uh, where mm-hmm. De Niro's character is it's never flawless. have anything you can't you know you, you can't walk out walk out on. Yeah, that that was kind yep. of that was kind of my approach. Like always be in that position that if something goes wrong, you know what your next move is. That was that was me. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah,
2: it's really hard. So you know, someone actually brings this up in the chat and says being open to opportunities is hard work in itself. I oh yeah spent. Most of – so I graduated from undergrad in 07 and then was unemployed for a year and then did a bunch of jobs that I hated um, and then tried to get into games writing and it was miserable and broke and that was a decade ago, right? That was that was a long time now and I spent a lot of time – I got out of co- – actually, I left college thinking that I was hot shit because – I did okay in college. I wasn't even, like, a straight-A student or anything. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I did well in my field. I did well in philosophy. I got into grad school and then got hyper-intimidated and was broke and dropped out. Um, and then – and and sold myself on the notion that, like, what I want to do is work because that was an easy way for me to compartmentalize the depression I had about dropping out of grad school. Um, and then I worked my ass off to just try to, like, get my name out there and – The thing that I will say that's sort of connected to you, your thing on on opportunities, Rob, is like try to build relationships with people that that you respect. Um, And what that means is not pestering them necessarily, but it does mean willing to be visible, Mm -hmm. Um, like you know, making taking meetings, meeting people, going to that extra class, like you know, going to a professor's office hours. Talking to them about internship opportunities or work over you know work that you can do when the semester is over if you 're yep. still in school if you yep. can if you can hang out over this over the summer break and take a, an extra class with them there um, things like those relationships are the things that eventually will pay off, whether that 's a professional relationship or not right like if someone at your job is going to a conference that you think is interesting, see if you can go to that conference. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's a project at at your office that's interesting, do that. If you're working retail – I worked retail my whole life. Oh, my I worked retail when I was life. young too, yeah. Absolutely. And so like the, thing, the things that I learned from retail were like how to talk to people that you don't know, how to be comfortable speaking with people, how to sell someone something. And yep. that often does not mean how to sell them jeans. It means like how to sell them the idea that how you to know – How to sell
0: them on – things right exactly
2: and then also how do i look at numbers and how do i work my head around projections and like Mm -hmm. what we're doing down the road when i worked at the comic store it was like well what's selling what's not selling what's gonna sell what's gonna sell uh obviously um and like that stuff is is when you when you give yourself the interest in those things you can develop those skills that can pay off way later and those aren't Mm -hmm. even skills sometimes it's just again you know what what fox here said in the chat it's about it's about Opening yourself up to the possibility that you could do that sort of thing. Um, it isn't like, oh, I came to Waypoint knowing how to run a website. But yeah. I was comfortable with all of the skill sets that I would need to develop. And mm-hmm. because I'd done so many of them in various ta- in various roles before yeah. that I was like, okay, I could wrap my head around this if I needed to.
0: It's like picking things from everywhere you've been, yeah. everywhere you've worked, at, like all of your experiences and like putting those together. In a nice like package and, that works for you. Right.
2: And often a lot of them you're gonna have to leave behind because yeah. they don't work out. And like, also
0: you're gonna fuck up.
2: I fuck up a lot. I dropped out of grad school twice. Like don't yeah. get it wrong, right? I did I I did okay. I got my masters and then dropped out again later. Like it's not it's it's there are no straight lines to success. Mm-hmm. And also there's no there's no like gleaming thing called success I, for most of us anyway. I don't yeah. think – I think I've done – I'm very grateful. I'm very – I'm very – I'm blessed to have a lot of great fans. I'm thrilled to be working with incredible people. Uh, you know, I, I know I've got it. I don't know what y'all on. But like at the same time, I feel like there is – isn't this isn't like – I didn't cross the finish line. Yeah. Every day there's new challenges. Yeah, and I also there is, feel like there is fucking painting tape all through this wall or you know, all around this room. <laughs> the room. We turn the camera. In here, there's a like, ladder. somewhere. On. like it's not. We're always building shit. I
0: always. I, I also feel like this is something I ran into a lot at Crunchroll. People thought like Roll is like this place in the sky that you couldn't work yes. at, or that like um, my job was like like uh just like some sentient thing like yeah. it like people feel like it's it's not something that they can accomplish it's not something that they can do and they also f- tend to look at it as like it's the best thing in the world and i think Which it's important sweet, yeah it is it's awesome but... i think it's important for people to know that like we're doing something really cool we have been like working so hard <laughs> and like um it's not always fun you know and and that isn't. It's it's really it's really hard sometimes.
2: There's that there's that I, I've gone back to this one scene in The Wire every time anyone talks to me about wanting to get into games journalism or wanting to find the perfect job for them. Um, there's a scene I think in the I think in season four, maybe it was all the way in season five, in which Lester Freeman, who is kind of positioned in that show as the veteran cop who has like, you know, old black cop wisdom, like that's kind once of once every season like, he has tropiers. to drop a lot of
1: knowledge on someone. Out of the blue.
2: Right. Exactly. <laughs> and in this case, it's it's Jimmy McNulty, the the fuck up ultra persistent. Uh uh who who is like basically, like, we're gonna bust this one wide open, Lester. We're gonna we're gonna save the city, right? And and Lester Freeman's like and then what? Like you think there's gonna be a parade and Jimmy then everyone's McNulty gonna say, Day? Yay. <laughs> Jimmy McNulty Day, exactly. And then what? If that happens, what's the next day? Yeah. And and you know where Lester ends up is the job will not save you. Like yes, it will pay your bills. Yes, it will it will make sure that there's food on the table. Yes, it will give you something to have professional pride in. But like the notion that uh, finding the job at Crunchyroll or at Waypoint or at Giant Bomb or like finding the job of your dreams is going to suddenly be like happily ever after mode Mm -hmm. it isn't and instead for me the the goal has never been find the place where i'm happy forever it's build the set of skills and practices and beliefs and habits that make whatever shitty challenge comes up tomorrow a thing i can i can manage right
0: yeah and use the internet please because like (laughs) use that internet when i like 10 years ago when i was like learning the skills that i i am very thankful that i have now like learning how to be really good at excel was me going to seminars that costed a lot of money but Mm -hmm. it was like hey i want to learn this skill i can't google this right now like i can't do that use the internet and also like God, if Twitter had existed, imagine if Twitter was no, a thing. it would be
2: bad. I would have fucked up. Like, I would have you fucked think so? up the way that a lot of people do, right? Which is like someone tweets at me, someone applies for a job or an internship and then tweets at me like, I'll see you in a couple of weeks, boss. And like, I get it. You're fucking out there. You're hustling. But like.
0: But not even. There not is even not like that.
2: always. Oh, not
0: even like that. OK. But there are people on Twitter and like people like us who are constantly talking about like what it's like doing this. Like what it's like, what you can expect mm-hmm. out of X, Y, and Z. And I feel like there's so much that you can learn totally. from Absolutely. existing on Twitter. Uh,
2: Nickus in chat says you should probably you probably shouldn't tell your employer that the job is not your endpoint though. Sure. Don't get fired by being like, I'm not here for life yeah. or whatever. But what you should tell your boss is, I need professional development. Yeah. I want to keep going. Where am I in five years yeah. at this company if I'm going to be here? What skills do I not know now that you would appreciate mm-hmm. me knowing? Mm-hmm. What sort of uh, uh, tuition credits do you offer for me to go continue being mm-hmm. like developing myself as a, as a professional? Yeah. Like, There is a fine line between I'm not going to be here in five years or two years and I want you to keep me here. So that means you have to do something for me that isn't just raises but is helping me develop my skills and talents so that I have a path forward.
0: Also, my least favorite interview question of all time is, like, where do you want to be in five years? Because my answer has been different every single time because it's just like – answer is different every day. Who knows? Like, how do you know that kind of
2: thing? Even just inside of Waypoint, like, where do we want to be in 10 years? God. Good question. We'll figure it out I don't on the know. way. We have a bunch of options, and <laughs> yeah. we will do what Rob said, which is follow them. Follow, you know, dedicate ourselves to one, follow, and see what else opens yeah. up. But like, there's a, a famous thing that said internally advice, and I will let you talk, Rob. Rob is like itching to talk, which is <laughs> you can do anything here. Don't try to do everything, or else you won't get anything done. But you can yeah. do anything. You just have to find that thing, and then
0: yeah, don't. Tr- yeah, don't austin dear austin walker uh-huh. don't try to do everything, do not, everything. That you don't, not that it's, you don't get anything done mm-hmm. but uh-huh you are you absolutely need to take that advice no rob what's no what's i'm just up?
1: gonna let danica riff on uh maybe it just it just
2: feels <laughs> like, maybe, like maybe there's maybe
1: there's no i'd like, like to
0: toss to you now
1: no uh, it's fine i no, just but just going back to this letter real quick uh i have absolutely so uh my girlfriend's little brother a couple years ago was absolutely going to the equivalent of Burnout You And he was in this place Mm -hmm. where he was like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Like, what am I doing in this place? Uh, I'm not sure I'm Mm -hmm. learning anything here. Uh, It's going to cost a lot of money. It's going to cost the family a lot of money. And I was just phoning it in and he was on the ledge. And... I was sort of told, like, by everyone in the family, like, "Hey, could you just tell him, like, encourage him to stick it out because, like, he really mm-hmm. needs to get this degree so he can go to college and not end up stuck in a shitty job." All this stuff, you know, all the stuff you say, like, "This is why you need to go to college." and All this. So I take him out, and we're sitting in this hotel lobby. Uh, he's, he's, he's having this visit with us, and I take him out and I give him the pitch. Like, he's telling me all this stuff, and as he's telling me, like, what's going on at the school, by the way. The more I'm thinking, like, oh shit, he does. Kind of, this, this sounds kind of stupid. Like, what? This doesn't sound like a great program. Mm-hmm. But right, I tell him like, stick it out. Like, you just you just got to stick it out. You'll you'll write it out, and that'll open some doors for you. Go get your college degree, and then you don't have to deal with this bullshit. And you'll have all these options. He was like, cool, yeah, you're you're right, yeah, I'll I'll definitely try that. He did not try that. He like he he okay. politely listened and completely bailed out of the program. And sort of plunged into the unknown to do mm-hmm. what, and it turns out I was completely full of shit, uh, and everyone in the family was <laughs> utterly wrong about what he needed to do next and what the best thing for his life direction was going to be like at this point, like he 's got a really, really successful business like building like doing twitch production and stuff, but not like for twitch right. he 's like an independent contractor. And he makes he like he makes more money than I do. He like instantly became like a really successful producer and a really knowledgeable one and it turns out he was the best judge of like what his talents were were capable of doing right. for him. And there's always going to be someone older and more responsible who's going to come in and say like, "Look, I know this sucks, but you just got to eat your med- you just got to swallow your medicine and pay your student loans." Right. And sometimes they're just fucking wrong and if it doesn't feel right, <laughs> You just gotta you, you just gotta go with the direction that does. hmm mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
2: Totally. I, I think that's like roll with it. Yeah, uh, so I'm gonna hit one more little one and then we'll we'll wrap. We're going a little long today. But not that long. So this comes in from Jonathan who says, um Thanks to the crew for all your hard work. The podcast is one of the consistent little joys that keeps me grounded. When I was in college a few years ago, uh, I drunk texted a friend about starting a podcast and a website about games. Although my friend has always wanted a place in games media, for me, it's always been a pretty fun hobby. It was fun to brainstorm the things we wanted to talk about, writing articles, streaming, and so on. We kept this up for about a year before we moved on to other things. After that year of work, we'd peaked at about 15 YouTube subscribers and a whopping 33 Twitter followers. After a few months, it became clear, to me at least, that our takes weren't interesting enough are presented well enough to stand out in the crowded field that is gaming content. My question is, what value do you think there is in creating content that nobody is seeing? Are there any reasons you might recommend creating content to someone who doesn't necessarily foresee or desire a career in it? I figured that as professionals, you might have experienced times when you were figuratively speaking uh, figuratively speaking, to an empty room. Did you get anything out of that experience beyond a stepping stone for your present career? Jonathan. Uh, yeah, I got a lot out of it, right? But, like, that, that might sound easy for me to say from here. But, like, the first post I wrote on Clockwork Worlds, which was my old blog where I wrote about games, was about into Lete, the uh, game from, god, what did they, they just made? Last year they made that game about being a maid in a fictional South American oh, oh, uh, republic. Oh, Oh, my god, what is the name of that developer? Tale, they had that whole blow up. Tale of Tales. My first blog post was about that. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, Be Intelligente is a game in which you walk around on a French beach. No, you walk around a, a, a holographic simulation of a French beach <laughs> while you're inside of cryogenic sleep in a, 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 a spaceship, and then you like go into a cafe that's on the beach, mm-hmm. and you use words <laughs> that you picked up from the waves to flirt, but also kind of like insult somebody across the internet and play chess but you're not really playing chess you're just kind of moving things around on a table okay it's like this it's, is a lot to take in it's like a new wave cinema like okay. very art you know, alt uh, uh, very art game right uh, I love that game dad was writing that for me and four other people like Don't get it twisted. I knew that from the jump, right? Like, when I read about Christine Love's Even Cowgirls Bleed, like, I know the audience for that is very small. Mm -hmm. Not that Christine Love doesn't have great fans, but at the time, it was like, you know, she had done done some other games, but, like, this is a little side twine game she had made. Not a lot of people are going to read this. Um, For me, there is a, a... Ex- expressivity is its own joy. Like yep. making something it does provide value for me. I don't sleep as well ever as when I have written a thing that day and put it out into the world, mm-hmm. whether or not someone reads it. Like even if it's a piece that does poorly, even if it's a piece that I don't think is perfect, mm-hmm. I still sleep like a fucking baby the night mm-hmm. that I actually get to write something. Um, and the the thing there for me is just like if you're getting enjoyment out of making a thing and you have time to do it. It's fine for that to be your hobby. Like, let that be your hobby. Don't reduce all creativity in your life down to does this get me money or fans or yeah. is there a career path here? So that's yeah. like my first big thing. Um, but what about y'all? Is that like a thing? Do you have creative outlets like that that you do? Because there is a difference between like I run friends at the table tabletop role playing game podcast. We could just be playing those games internally, but I am putting them out into the into the world, and there is a distinction there. Um so i don 't want to pretend like all that like doing that privately is the same as doing it publicly, so there is a distinction between those two things. But I think that whether or not you 're successful if you again if you 're if you recognize it as a hobby and not a career, I think that that 's valuable. Do you have any side projects like that?
0: like my music I right. definitely don 't look at my music as something that 's like career like of any type of career focus for right. me it 's very this is this has been a hobby of mine since I was a child. I haven't really had an opportunity to actually like make music until recently, so I'm just doing it. If a song does poorly, I get a little bummed, I yeah, guess, sure. because it's like I am putting time into it, but I'm not going to stop doing it just because of that.
2: Mm-hmm. Rob, do you have any side side gigs, side hustles? Side non jobs that are so... well, what
0: I'm
1: probably like I'm probably lacking in those right now. Like to the like to the point, it's a problem. Like I used to do a lot more recreational writing, right. and then I was a freelancer for ten years, and I like yeah. if I was going to write something, I was going to get paid. Uh, so I'm I'm probably feeling that lack a little bit. Like I'm on three moves ahead. I host like this this podcast about strategy games. Right. Still still feels pretty work adjacent. What I'm not doing yeah. and what I was doing like ten fifteen years ago. Was like trying to write novels and you know that kind of right. thing. And I used to do that pretty regularly, uh, and nobody ever saw that stuff because boy, like the third act, it's just really fucking hard, guys. It's really difficult, uh, yeah, and it really I got is. A, so I've got a lot of partially written novels that no one's ever going to see, uh, and I'm probably not going to go back to. But I think there's
2: were those valuable for you. Did you enjoy the time you spent writing them? Do you? Do you regret it at all that you didn't – that you spent the time writing them given that you didn't finish or are you glad that you wrote them anyway?
1: There's only one I regret not finishing. Uh, but okay. I am glad I wrote all of them including the the ones that are dog shit uh, and most of them were. Right. And part of it was none of that was going to find an audience but it helped make me a writer. It helped develop me as a writer. Yes. Like it developed me as a creator. And so there was
2: – The things – a note that I give writers all the time, and I gave this as a, as a teacher as much as an editor, is don't be afraid to cut things because feeling like you wasted them. Sometimes the things that you write that you end up cutting are like bridges to get you to the final piece. And I f- hope it sounds like you feel the same way about the novels that you started to write, Rob. Or like, hey, they did something for me, even if no one ever reads them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now the the one thing is is that don't get precious about the stuff that you've. You've kept yourself and you like always be aware that when you put that stuff out there, it's going to be like people are going to react to it and they're going to have opinions of it. Like there, there's that too. Like when you, when you do put the stuff out there, you have to be prepared for criticism and rejection. And, and so I think there's the stuff you keep to yourself, I think serves two purposes. One is that it can sort of train you up, but it can also just be an outlet uh, that that you need. Yeah. It's very different once you start making that available. Even if it doesn't find an audience, it's very different once you are putting it out there. Whether that's just like showing mm-hmm. it around to your creative writing uh, classmates totally. or mm-hmm. to the world at large.
2: And, and I'll say just before we we wrap up here, uh, the the thing about. Doing something for an audience or like conceptualizing it as a thing you're making versus just doing it, there's a difference there. Even if what you say is this is just a hobby, that can be really rewarding if, if you let yourself quote unquote like be professional about it or be more organized yeah, about it. So definitely. to Jonathan who's like making YouTube streams doing YouTube streams with his with his friend and like putting up podcasts, like yeah, you could just play games with your friend. You could just have a conversation. And if those are the if those are still rewarding for you, do those things. But there is something different about saying like like ooh like we're there's a you're almost playing at at something when yeah. you're like ooh okay we're going to structure this podcast and the first segment we're going to talk about this and the second segment we'll talk about this and we're going to do a break to to shout out this other thing we like mm-hmm. like that is a form of Almost like role play. At least it was for me when I first started doing this stuff as side projects. It was like, all right, how do I shape a podcast in which we play tabletop role playing games? Like, what's yeah. that sound like? Yeah. We well, you know we have two hundred people listening to us total. Um, that, but I'm still interested in the structure of this thing as a piece of as a media thing, and not just as there happened to be a tape recorder in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you enjoy that, keep enjoying it. Keep and, doing
0: it. And also, just being creative in general is gonna. Open up other like yeah. parts of that creative brain that let you totally. create stuff different. Like making music, I feel helps me with my writing. Or uh, making a plan to make like a YouTube video right. will help me in some way be motivated to create music. I think it's just beneficial. Totally. All around. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think it's a it's a important to, to do do these creative things regardless of whether or not they're going to be. Again, the job will not save you. And mm-hmm. I want to live in a world where we're not necessarily always looking for our hobbies to save us yep. financially either. We yep. should be allowed to play and, and let that be yep. its own thing. So, all right. If you have questions, you can send them to gamingadvice.com. That's correct. Gamingadvice.com. Yes, uh, gamingadvice.com. Make sure you use question in the subject. Yep. Danica, where can people find us on the internet?
0: People can find us at twitter.com slash waypoint, facebook.com slash waypoint vice, instagram.com slash waypoint vice, tumblers waypoint vice. We're everything. on Tumblr. We're on Tumblr, Yeah. Wow. I posted our, I posted about our playlist. Hey, you can find there the music is. that we're listening to um, on Apple Music and on Spotify. If you search waypoints weekly rhythm action, that's our weekly playlist. It's updated every week. Uh, new songs in rotation. True. Um, be sure to listen to those we have some some Kendrick some and, bangers Yeah, in we, have, we have some good stuff on there um, and you can find me on Twitter at Danica Herod.
1: Rob
2: where can people find you on the internet
1: uh, they can find me at Twitter at Rob Zachney
2: <laughs> at Twitter at, at, Rob, Twitter, Zachney. at Rob Zachney gotcha. <laughs> no at Twitter, no, at at Twitter somebody
1: else I think it might be that Jack guy <laughs> I don't know
2: uh, yeah, twitter.com
1: slash Rob Zachney there you go and people can, where can people listen to Three Moves Ahead, which you uh, mentioned? ThreeMovesAhead.net.
2: There it is. And I'm Austin Walker. You can find me at Austin underscore Walker on Twitter. Austin Walker Games on Facebook It's the same thing as the Twitter. But if you're not on Twitter, yeah. you can go got Austin Walker Games on Facebook. I'm yeah. getting really quiet now. <laughs> Shout-outs to Tim Barnes, who you can find on Twitter at TimBarnes451. Our podcast producer, shout-out to Dylan Coburn. Shout-outs to Bowen, who lets us use the track... Miss you. ...off of the EP Pale Machine... Find out more there about that go. at waypoint.zone slash <laughs> B-O-E-N. It doesn't work if you go to waypoint.vice.com slash B-O-E-N. That's not how URLs yeah, work.
0: That's not how it works. I,
2: I own waypoint.zone yeah. and I added a thing where you mm-hmm. go slash B-O-E-N it'll mm-hmm. work. I don't know if that'll work if you go to popliopals.moe slash B-O-E-N. Mm-hmm. I bet it won't work. I don't think it'll work if you go to culturalmarxism.club slash B-O-E-N. I don't think it'll work. I forgot we have dot Yeah, I don't know if it'll work if you go to dot <laughs> <bastionfux.com. laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. And also, what's Slash the thorn. .dot .biz or something? There's a .dot .biz we, now. We have a lot of stuff. We have a lot of stuff. Lots of things.
2: Lots of things. Lots of big rings. Shouts um, out. Shout outs to, to everybody. We're going to do a couple more streams this week. Uh, obviously, permadeath will happen. I'm going to put up votes for new difficulty mod- modifiers in mm-hmm. per- permadeath. I still have two lives left. I haven't lost a life in a long time.
0: Please lose a life. I'm good. I'm waiting for you to lose a life. I need it to happen. I fought
2: a big old stone person, and I beat him.
0: I'm being on the stream this week. All right. You can be on the stream this week. I'll make it a little bit more tough. Week. We also have a very special... Um, we're going to be premiering an album uh, this month from uh, one of our good pals on weird Twitter. Um, That's true. Uh, can't can't tell you yet, but I'll tell you soon. And uh, that person will be here on Wednesday to premiere a song. So, like,
2: Facebook Live?
0: On Facebook Live. Cool. And um, on Friday, we're going to be doing a stream with creators, the Creators Project. We're going to be... Attempting to stream the new Rick and Morty VR game. Let's see if that can happen in here. We're going to move the couch out. We're going to go all out. I'll move it out personally. Damn. I'm strong. I'm strong.
2: That's going to do it for us this week. On that note, Danica Strong, catch you next week. Catch you Friday. Peace.